Matt and Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, welcome on back. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. How you doing, Gordon? You got me? Yeah, I got okay. you. All right. Uh, we're going to talk to Coach Chiesa uh, coming up here momentarily. Uh, in fact, is he with us, Eric? Eric now in for Austin. All right, let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, of course, longtime jazz assistant coach and our good friend, Coach Gordy Chiesa. What's going on, Coach? Guys, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, excellent. Thanks for joining us, as always. We, we appreciate it. Uh, jazz, uh, get a, a win over the weekend over the Kings, Coach. And, you know, Gordon and I have talked a lot about the, the threes going down. That game wasn't about the three ball. Even though they took 50, they found another way to win. And that was driving the ball to the basket. That was Donovan Mitchell. And they moved the ball tremendously, and the ball swung, and they drove the closeout. And then they absolutely crushed the Kings on the boards, 52-38, to 38, including 11-4 on the offensive blast. So that second half, they really put it into another gear because first half they were just lagging in the, in the uh, final two quarters. They really uh, pushed it hard, and they uh, knocked them out for the punch. Donovan Mitchell was absolutely sensational. He's been great uh, the whole season, but in particular, Jake and Gordon, the last three games, he has taken 91 shots and 32 three throws. He's averaging 40 points a game. And what we learned from that is that he's driving the switch. Most teams keep switching defense where it doesn't, ma- uh, it doesn't matter who's trying to guard him. They switch big on Donovan or small on Donovan. Either goes around him easily or jumps over them, and he's scoring the ball at an unbelievable rate. And he, the Jazz need him to score, and he's, he's, he's delivered. Gordy, how does, how does a player of that skill level decide how often to score? Because, I mean, let's face it, Donovan could do that even more than he does, but he's trying to find the right, the right number, uh, sharing the ball with his teammates, but also scoring when they need him, right? So how, how does one make that decision? Well, it's based on the tempo of the game, momentum. If the guy guarding you is not in a stance. So a lot of times your teammates should read the dribbler. So Donovan has the ball of Joe Ingles, and they really see that the guy on-ball defensive player is absolutely not engaged. That's a great time from a team unit that someone's going to drive the ball, um, most times it's Donovan Mitchell or Joe Ingles, and they're going to make a play for themselves or for others. And so a lot of it's just instinctively, if you're if being guarded or non-guarded, and on the second side of the floor, even more dramatic one, the ball goes from swing, swing, swing to the second side. That's a great advantageous position to really uh, dribble drive to the basket and create. And Donovan has the it factor. In other words, some players never have it. He's got it. That in clutch situations, generally speaking, he always comes through, whether it's in a playoff game or whether it's versus the, uh, the Kings on, this, on a Saturday night or tonight versus the Wizards. He's got the it factor. Coach, Rudy Gobert had two attempts on uh, Sunday against the Sacramento, and Gordon and I were having a discussion about how teams – have to kind of pick their po- poison. Are they going to take the rim away or are they going to take the threes away? But can you kind of break down for us what teams do when they decide to limit Rudy's effectiveness at the rim? Yeah, what happens is that, like with Sean Holmes, he's a very good player. That guy is good. And everybody, he's a free agent this summer. So a lot of the teams want that guy in their team because he's athletic, but he's controlled. So against Rudy Gobert, uh, they were playing a switch defense, and then they changed the coverage where they kept 
uh, big on big. So when Rudy goes to the basket, it's not a smaller guy trying to take him airborne. It's the big guy trying to stay in his body. And, Jake, you and I talk about this often over the years. The ultimate big guy would be Anthony Davis or Stephen Adams, where they put their body on uh, Rudy, and he slows his verticality as far as jumping. So in the coverage, the big doesn't jump out on the dribbler. He um, he fake shows and goes back to Rudy, who's rim rolling, and that keeps uh, big on big versus that awful words, Gordon, uh, small on big. It, n- it never happens as far as, as far as being advantageous to the defense. Gordy, you mentioned rebounding there, that the, the Jazz have compiled that large number of rebounds. Uh, I saw a stat that, uh, and let me preface this by saying, and I'm guilty of this too, I often look at what the Jazz are doing with the three-point shot, and if they are shooting it efficiently, they almost always win. But I saw a stat that the Jazz are 31-6 and six when out-rebounding their opponents. Yes. That's, yes. Yeah. Oh, very much. And the learning point about that is that their, their defense really sets up their rebounding. So the, the Jazz are a very good defensive team, and they're in the top three overall, both on-ball, off-ball, defending the three-point shot, and Rudy's brilliance protecting the rim slash paint. But with that said, part of defense is securing the rebound. And that's the last component of defense. So the Jazz are 31 and six when they out rebound their opponent, and it's the physicality that the winning teams have, and that's the Jazz right now. They're really getting good play besides that of Rudy, but Royce O'Neal really is a good rebounder. That guy has very good timing against the Kings. He had 14 rebounds, which is a career high, but it's how he gets them. He gets them both climbing and also on the ground horizontally. Gordon with the three-point shot. Uh, as far as being such a dominant force when the Jazz play defense and the shot is missed by the opposing team, besides verticality becomes now horizontally, you've got to chase the rebound down. And that makes Royston even more valuable because he has enough foot speed and instincts, Donovan Mitchell, Michael Conley, Joe Ingles, all the guys to get rebounds off the floor to ignite, to ignite their fast break. Coach Chiesa with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coach, what happened uh, the last time this Jazz team played the Wizards? Gordon and I were talking about it. It was a few weeks ago. It was, I, I think, maybe their worst loss of the year, close to it, because the Wizards are, are not terrific there in the Eastern Conference. But what do they need to fix from that game tonight? Well, that game was a 131-122 loss on March 18th in the, in the nation's capital. And that was the game where Bradley Beal scored 43 points. Russell Westbrook gets 35, 15 rebounds, and 13 assists. From the Jazz point of view, Donovan gets 42. Joe Engel gets 34 without Mike Conley being there. And so what the Jets have to do tonight is they've got to ball contain, both teams do. So the winning team tonight will do a better job of ball containing the dribbler because Westbrook and Bradley Beal will put so much stress on the defender's feet. Likewise, Donovan is going to counterpunch that and put stress on Russell's feet and also Bradley Beal's feet and a half of Ish Smith and a half of Hulu Neto. And so the, so the, the Jets have to ball contain, and they've, they've got to play in front. Uh, the Wizards are the kind of team when they get ahead in the game, which is very rare, but when they do, though, they're definitely a front-running team. And when they're down, they very rarely fight back as far as they're trying to get the knockout punch, even though they're talented. So ball contain and play from ahead.
So what's happening with the Jazz defenders in that regard, Gordy? Are they being screened? Are they being beat off the dribble? What, what, what's been the problem, in, uh, at least in that one case, of slowing those two uh, more perimeter players down? Very much. Well, it's a combination of two things. is that you've got to be in your stance and be alert to moving your feet. If there was a screening action, you've got to be able to navigate the screen over or under. If there's no screen... It's better to play a cushion defense where you really understand the speed and the velocity of Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal and slightly pay or play off them and be the second jumper on perimeter. So you've seen a million times, Gordon, where Russell Westbrook, against switching defense, he's messed that freeze dribble where he comes down, he frees the defensive player for that pull-up 18-footer. He's a, but you'd rather have him... Take that, you'd rather have him take a long shot. So by, by playing off him, that gives him an element of shooting over the top where he's dramatically lesser. And Bradley Beal is the same way also, where Bradley Beal is, uh, averages 7.8 attempts per game from the foul line, which is, um, which is really a high number. He's the ninth-best foul shooter in the NBA. And so you've got to do both those guys where give him cushion defense. And one more point about Russell Westbrook, Jake, over the years, we said, oh, you and I are doing many games together and broadcasts, that sometimes so-and-so plays with both teams during the exact same game. There'll be Russell Westbrook tonight, where he changes his jerseys literally during the game when he plays sometimes absolutely great and sometimes for the opposing team. Russell's first in the NBA in most turnovers committed per game at five a game. So he's averaging a triple-double, but he's first in the NBA as far as turnovers, and he's shooting only 31% from threes. And here's the, here's the juggernaut, Jake. He, from the foul line, he's only shooting 62%. Mm. So is the good Russell, and then is not so good Russell. Hello, hopefully tonight from the Jazz point of view and the Jazz primitive defenders that they can have cushion defense on him. So, Coach, no Clarkson tonight dealing with an ankle issue. Uh, no Mike Conley tonight as they manage his hamstring with uh, with back-to-backs with, uh, with the game tomorrow. But we've seen Mie Oni soak up a bunch of the minutes uh, when one of the ro- rotation guys is missing. And I actually think it says a lot that they are giving him those minutes over, say, you know, newly acquired Matt Thomas or, or even newly acquired Ersan Ilyasova. But what are your thoughts on Oni? Uh, are you as high on him as the Jazz seem to be? Yes, I am very much. He's athletic. He plays in a defensive stance. He's alert. He's alert as far as trying to guard on-off ball. He gets in trouble when he takes a too early quick shot. Last game he goes one for seven. I have no problem with that, one for seven. The problem was that the ball came to him, and just right away he fired a jump shot. Versus, I'm not saying being hesitant. I'm saying get a feel for the game first. That fine line. Wait a second. You know, people want me to shoot. I get that. But you want to do also shoot in your rhythm, but also, by the way, in our rhythm. So he's a good young talent. He's homegrown. The Jazz drafted him and that they're committed to him as far as his development. I like him, especially right now with the way he's playing. He'll get in the game. He's going to try it again, play cushion defense against the uh, the juggernaut of as far as the Wizards, as far as how they try to dribble strike you as far as getting to the basket. So, Gordy, getting back to covering uh, Westbrook and Beal, uh, both those guys are 6'3". Who should get the primary minutes against which one of those guys? Well, Donovan's got to play against one of them. So probably Donovan should, will probably match up with Bradley Beal, and then they're going to try to, with Westbrook, they're going to possibly 
you could you could do this possibly uh, uh, play um, Royce O'Neal on him. You could, or vice versa. You could. So it's possible that it'll be everybody because the Jazz play switch defense. So including also be Joe Ingles. He'll be in the mix as far as playing. So you want to get you want to keep small on small versus big on small because these guys have mastered just like Donovan. They've mastered the art form of a of a of a dribble striking versus switching defense. See switching defense. It's good if it's one through four as far as same skill set, somewhat same foot speed, somewhat same length. But it gets really uh, different when you just switch um, philosophically and schematically and you, you get nothing for it. Like, so Donovan has absolutely played great against switching defenders. If you notice, you notice against the Phoenix Suns, they didn't switch they didn't switch a lot against it, and they kept small on small and big on big. And it was advantageous to the Suns recently. Coach, let's. Uh, I'll take the Jazz out of this question for the moment. But who is uh, the best team, or who's your favorite team in the West? To watch play, or just to uh, count? I, I let me rephrase. Yeah. Who do you think the uh, taking the Jazz out of it? Who do you think is the best team in the West, regardless of record? Lakers. They're resting right now. Their two main guys are resting. Resting mean what? Injuries. And for the listeners right now, in 1280 of the zone, it's uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So they, they are the best team in the West because they have the two to five best players in the world on the same team. Now, I know they're hurt. So a lot of times when people get hurt, you sort of forget about them. Like, sort of. But trust me, the guys that are playing against these guys, they, they respect them. They're going to try to knock them out. But they're the best team in the West right now because of LeBron's absolute brilliance and a playoff-type atmosphere. There's nothing that he hasn't seen before in his life that he's, that he's mastered. And Anthony Davis, he can score over the top of you. He can score at the three-point line in the middle game, and he gives the, the Lakers an absolutely rebounding force and a shot blocker. And now with LeBron being hurt, they'll, they'll have to make an element, they'll have to adjust some when, he, when he's back in the lineup in Anthony Davis. But Kyle Kuzman, former youth player, he's played very well for them, and so is Catavis Colwell-Pope, and so is Caruso now, who's, play, who's struggling at the beginning of the season. Now he's back, now he's playing well. So there are some good components they have right now. Is that the one team, Gordy, it really doesn't matter where they finish. It does not. They, they could win it all regardless. It, I mean, seeding does no, it does not. Especially now, with unfortunately, with the um, with the pandemic and there's very little fans, and rightfully so, me prefaces at the arenas. So the Jazz home court absolutely bonkers. Let's get rolling. Uh, home court advantage in playoffs might not be the same. Also, also the Trailblazers are the same exact same uh, component as far as unbelievable fan base because they love they love their team. So with LeBron being there. And then coming back is that it will negate some of the home court. Also, Denver should be a factor in this because Nikolai Jokic, probably the MVP this year, if I was voting, I'd vote for him number one, is that he is such a force offensively, and he, a, he causes so many dilemmas of the mismatch against him. When you, you got him with big or small, he can make plays off the dribble, and he's absolutely clever. So Denver's got also a, a, a team that could, could go deep in the playoffs. Coach, I understand you have a list for us as usual. Yeah, my list today, Jake, I've been thinking about Joe Ingles, who is really one of the best 
players in jazz history as far as all around. I thought about him. So I made a list up as far as Joe's attributes, as where he ranks um, as far as assists. But let's not forget, Joe's number one history of jazz basketball of the most made three-point shots, number one. So he's an unbelievable marksman. He's shooting over 40% from threes career-wise. But let's add to this. Oh, by the way, he's a passer. So this list right now is the top 10 Utah Jazz Korea franchise leaders in assists. Gordon, before I start, assist passing makes three people happy collectively. Yes, Gordon, happy. They are one, the scorer, two, the passer, and three, most of all, the head coach. Because when guys pass the ball, the head coach is absolutely ecstatic. All right, the 10th greatest assist person in Jazz history Adrian Dantley with 1,702. Number nine, Gordon Hayward with 1,762. Number eight, the late great Pete Maravich with 1,844. Number seven, he coaches the Houston Rockets right now, Jeff Hornacek, 1,895. Number six, the Jazz own Russian Comet, Andre Karolinko, 1,919. All right, number five, he's playing tonight. He's the greatest lefty jazz player as far as passer. So the greatest lefty passer in jazz history. He's also, besides that, he's a jumbo passer. At six foot eight, he can pass over the top or around the defense, and he uses his size advantageously, no other than Joe Ingles with 1,940. Number, number five on the list. All right, number four, Darren Williams, 4,003. Number three, the fastest man in the West, they used to call him Ricky Green, with 4,159. Number two, the mailman, with 5,085. And number one, the greatest passer of all time in the NBA history, with 15,806 assists. And by the way, he averaged 10.5 assists per game, is John Stockton. Where's Donovan Mitchell? He's trending, to say the least, right now. In Donovan's fourth year, Donovan has already amassed 1,173 uh, in his career with the Utah Jazz. So eventually, if Donovan minus, God forbid, an injury or, God forbid, he's not here for whatever reason, that he stays his whole career here, Donovan, Lord willing, should be number two all-time as far as an assist, and we'll see about points because that guy has got a great game. So, Joe Ingles, we love you, dog. Well, Coach, we love having you on. Thank you so much for dropping by, as always. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Stay well. Peace out. That's our friend, Coach Gordon Chiesa, joins us each and every Monday here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Always good. Pretty, yeah. I mean, the, the, that assist number for Stockton is just astounding. Well, he dominated the ball. He did. He see, got the ball nobody, in his hands a lot. It, it would be interesting to see how he would be utilized if he was playing on this jazz team. Because no one dominates the ball like uh, like John did back in the day, and and I don't think Quinn would want him to dominate the ball the way he did back then. So well, if he does if he doesn't dominate the ball the way he did back then, then he wouldn't compile the same amount of assists. True, but is uh, you know you bring that up, isn't that the exact adjustment Mike Conley basically had to make coming to this team? Yeah, yeah, good point. So I mean, yeah. cre- credit Mike Conley because he had to he had to make that adjustment in the. Yeah. 
I don't want to say Twilight that so, but but I mean, he was very set in his ways, spending 12 years playing the game in Memphis one way, and to make that adjustment, and, and we underestimated that adjustment, Gordon. Um, yeah, and that's uh, a great point, Jake. Yeah. That really is. Uh, that that yeah, that would have been big. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's just what a guy is asked to do in a certain circumstance, and I don't know. He seems to be having fun now, though. He seems to be really enjoying it. Yeah, he certainly is. I, we can't give him enough credit for for playing the way that he's played because he's he's changed. He's, uh, I, we've talked about this before, but he kind of assessed the situation, saying, "Okay, here's what I bring to the table. How can I make it fit? Not make them fit around me, but me fit with what they do." And he's done he he's done a terrific job. I mean, he's yeah. just had one heck of a year. Yeah. So whatever Took his next contract time, like is going to be, he's earned every penny. Well, it won't be what it is now, no matter how well he's played, right? Well, 30. Yeah, well, he makes a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he's in his 30s, and it's, yes, he's not going to get that kind of scratch. But uh, he's earned himself another contract, another nice one. I bet he gets taken care of uh, very generously. Maybe not 30, but maybe not that far off either. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I don't, that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun to keep an eye on that. Yeah. All right, we'll get to more coming up next. Stay tuned. Don't forget Mannix at 4. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Most listened to sports radio afternoon show. I grind every day just so I can live a better life. This is the big show presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing. And the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. I want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks. If you're working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner, Syringa Networks. Call 385-420-7881. That's 385-420-7881. Or simply visit syringanetworks.com. Uh, Gordon, um, you, I know we don't talk a ton of baseball, but uh, can I can I bring up a baseball story from sure, yesterday yeah. and uh, just reiterate a complaint that uh, nobody seems to agree with? But whatever, okay. I'll do it. I'll do it anyway. All right. Were you watching the the Philadelphia, uh, which I'm sure you were because you're a big Phillies guy, but the the Philadelphia Braves game uh, I did not last watch night. It, no. All right, the Phillies won seven to six. And uh, Alec Bohm scored Bohm. Is that right? Is that right? Eric Bohm, I believe, uh, scored the go-ahead run in the ninth. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Gordon. It's a it's a sacrifice fly coming in from uh, left field. Azuna throws it. There's a play at the plate, and Bohm completely misses the plate, <laughs> but is called safe. And, I mean, there are multiple replay angles that make it very clear that he did not touch the plate. But yet it's reviewed and comes back confirmed, and the Phillies win the game. So my complaint is, can we just get rid of replay, please? Is it, It's just a, a roaring waste of time, and all it ends up doing is aggravating people. When, if with no replay, you just pawn it off on the dumb umpire and you get over it. They don't get it right anyway. 
Yeah, that is frustrating when they take the time to review and still get it wrong. Have you seen this play? If you haven't, forgive me, but have have you seen the play? I mean, it's... I haven't, but I can imagine it in my mind. And there is sort of that long-standing. I don't know how long-standing it is, but remember uh, when uh, on the double play, guys used to uh, umpires used to let the fielder, get, whether it was a shortstop yeah. or the second baseman, get away get with away kind with of just mm-hmm. swiping near the base because the runner may be coming down, bearing down on them, or you know. So uh, maybe maybe it has. I don't know. Is there some unwritten rule about just being in the general area? It seems like home plate might be a little different in that regard. Well, and if you're in favor of that sort of thing, which I, I honestly am I'm fine with it, if it's like the nuance of the game or, or whatever, and I think you bring up a, an excellent example, then that's just another uh, reason to not have replay. Because if you do have replay, <laughs> then you have to be very exact about it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was the reason that I thought that uh, – uh, um, making pass interference reviewable was was so ludicrous because it happens on every single pass. But yet well, you have to have the, the kind of, well, did that affect it or not? Or, or if you reviewed holding, I mean, how ridiculous would that be? Because it happens on every play. So you might as well let the game be nuanced and get rid of the replay. Well, the same thing in the NBA with referees because they – it's almost as though one second some amount of contact is a foul, and the next second that same amount of contact is not a foul. Right. So it's it's almost like, yeah, yeah. Like you bring up a good point there because referees oftentimes are given license for interpretation uh, within the context of the game itself. And boy, that sounds that sounds controversial, doesn't it? Because now judgment comes into every call, every time. Even, you know, the holding call, you're right. And that's why people get so angry when a touchdown is scored. So you got a 45-yard touchdown and, and a holding is called. And so it comes back and the ball's now on the, on the other 45-yard line. You know, it's just uh, that, that's frustrating to fans because, and I think that is maybe the single most frustrating in all for football fans. Well, and but, that's why the only holds you see called are just the ludicrous ones, you know, for the most part, right? Nothing's absolute. But and I'm fine with that. If it's a if the guy's hanging onto his jersey as he's about to sack the quarterback, by all means, you know, throw that flag. But you know, if you're you're grabbing on the inside and it's just kind of a normal exchange with a defensive lineman, you don't want to see that. Nobody does. So I mean, I just think it's So are you letter of the law guy? Do you think it's it, absolutely it needs to be absolute uh, with every call, although that's impossible, like we just talked about on in, in the nature of some games. But, uh, I, you know, I, I when I was playing sports, I didn't mind, especially in basketball, I didn't mind a referee who could interpret what was going on. And it, because you know, you could, there are so many whistles that could be blown that would absolutely slow the game down. But some people think, well, if it's written in the book, if it's written, then then live by it, and rule by it. I just I think that sports has completely overreacted to the guy sitting on his couch at home, because the guy sitting on his couch at home or gal uh, can see the replay and then gets yeah. all sorts of upset, and then you know they think, oh well, this needs to be fixed. Well, even that wing nut sitting at home doesn't really think it needs to be fixed. <laughs> they don't because they nobody wants to watch a football game where every hold is called. Yeah. 
or or yeah. every you know defensive holding against a receiver or in basketball is a way better example. Nobody wants to see every foul called. I mean, it would so, it would so, make so, it so. extremely painful to watch. But but we get this. Well, they've got to get it right, and so we waste countless uh, amount of time. I didn't phrase that right, but I think you get my point. Yeah. We we waste so much time. I mean, go to a live. Uh, college football game for crying out loud with the re- with everything including the reviews i mean it takes forever we're talking three and a half four hour college football games you know i just don't i i think it's a waste of time they don't get it right anyway it would seem i mean this this latest example is egregious Gordon. if you get a second in the break you should entertain yourself by looking it up because it's i mean it's terrible but it's it's isn't it easier just to go well the umpire i missed that one you know I missed that one. And then we all move on with our life. We can uh, have some fun at that umpire's expense and say, ha, 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 where's your glasses? Ha, ha, ha. We all move on. But isn't yeah, but it... what, do you do? what do you do in a critical moment of a critical game? Well, so be it. It's part of it. I mean, re- officiating, refereeing, it, it's all part of it. I mean, it, we get so worked up. Look, the NFL completely changed its rules based on one camera angle in that game against the Saints where it appeared like it was a blown pass interference call. Have you ever seen the the above angle at that of that particular play Gordon? It might still be pass interference, but it isn't even close to as egregious as that one angle makes it look. And so look, a whole league overreacted to one call that wasn't that bad in the first place because of a bad camera angle. And So you think what? You should they should just replay uh, show the replays on TV, but not give that any uh, authority of any sort. Just live with it. Yes, get rid of the Sakakis in the NBA. I don't know where the what the NFL. I get rid of. I know the NFL doesn't do the hood anymore, right? Where they part, uh, they put their head into the. You know, remember what I'm, ta- I'm talking <laughs> yes. about? Yeah, I don't uh, think they do that anymore. Just get rid of it. Just does it bother make you, the Jake? call and move on. Does it bother you when they put the box up in the strike zone? No, because these are things that help you digest the game at home, right, and make it a more viewable product. I've got no problem with that. But don't listen to the guy who's mad about the bad call. Just make the call and move on. Refs miss calls. Can you imagine if they reviewed every pitch? Oh, and, and people that say, oh, just get rid of the umpire and let a machine call balls and strikes. Oh, man. If you actually umpired a game letter of the law balls and strikes, I mean – it 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 wouldn't work. You think there would be what a bunch of uh, a bunch of walks? No, I don't think there'd be any walks. Hmm. I think that uh, there'd be like one hit a game. <laughs> a strike zone is supposed to be between the the letters and the knees, and how they call it really, Gordon, is the knees and the belly button, pretty much. Yeah, it seems like it, doesn't it? So, because they that's what they have to do to get the pitcher to actually throw something the batter can hit. Boy, uh, that uh, surprises me hearing that from you, a former pitcher. <laughs> well, it, it's, I guess. I'm not playing in these games, though, Gordon. I'm just <laughs> attempting to watch them. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of viewers imagine themselves playing in the game. Actually, they're just rooting for whichever team they, they like to root for. But this is a great argument, Jake, and we could spend an entire show dissecting this and trying to figure out how how most of our listeners feel about it. Would you rather see, essentially what you've boiled it down to, would you rather see calls stand that were in error 
rather than have the game slowed down by 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 checking so many of the calls and uh and it i think i think what you're complaining about here is relatively rare usually they do get the calls right when they can review it oh Not i wouldn't always. say usually okay. oh yeah you say more they blow more than 50 percent Locke has a whole bit on it on the on the the jazz broadcast where he he's always wrong when he says i think this when they go to review something and he says well this is the way i think it should be like it's it's almost comical yeah, i mean but, he's, wait, he's basically wait, 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 mocking let me, so let me get this straight you think that whatever sport you want to take, football or basketball or baseball, you think more than 50% of the time when they review a call, they still get it wrong? They get it wrong a bunch. I don't know about 50, Gordon, but they get it wrong a ton. How about, how about when they did make pass interference reviewable in the NFL? You know what the success rate on overturning a call was? It was in the single digits. Mm. And that's them openly basically manipul- manipulating things to not – I guess is make it, their refs is look it, bad. Or, is it, or are the refs getting it right the first time? <laughs> well, considering we both agreed that there's pass interference and/or defensive <laughs> holding on pretty much every pass play. Well, the here's the problem with with this whole sort of scenario: you can make an absolute farce of almost every sport. What do you mean? Elaborate. You like you were talking about earlier. Let's take basketball for instance. You could blow the whistle every trip down yeah, the court. Right. But that would ruin the game, like you said. Think about it in terms of football. When it's fourth and short, fourth and inches, they hand the ball off, the runner goes into the scrum, and then you think they get that ball placed exactly where where it should be placed? I, I, I They get that wrong all the time. And it's it's but but if you accept that or if you don't accept that, then you ruin the game. Then you say, okay, this is a joke, and then you're no longer interested in it, or potentially anyway, right? Because it's, there's no logical way you can place that ball exactly where it got to. Nope. But it's the human part of it, and we overlook it because oh man, my team got hosed, or woof, my team got the benefit of the call there, and then we move on with our lives. Oh, it's gotten too important for too many people, and maybe that's a function of how much money is. But but see, too important. What do you mean too important to too many people? Fun. (laughs) It's too. It's it's there's such intense uh, focus on these sports that people. And, and look, maybe the media is to blame with some of this. And I don't like blaming the media for everything the way so many people like to do these days. But we make a big deal out of it when there's a blown call, right? Uh, we do. Yeah, we do. Kind of do. I mean, you and I are pretty good in that regard. We don't really like to blame the refs. Some some people, and fans in particular, just go berserk over this stuff. If it's If it was just to be called and left to be called that way, with no recourse, it seems like in our society, you know, you can appeal just about everything. Well, also, you know, uh, Gordon, speaking of things that fans like to do, uh, it definitely leads to conspiracy theories. Like, the league has it out for my team. <laughs> because they get they get the review wrong? So wrong that 
the, the your mind automatically races to how could they get this wrong? I mean, well, that Bra- I the Braves Phillies one, Gordon, is so wrong. Yeah. I wouldn't blame a Brave fan for going, "Wow, Major League Baseball really wanted us to lose that game." Well, they took the All Star game away. Yeah. All right, we'll have more coming up next. Stay tuned. It's the Big Show, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty, the Zone. You're locked on to The Big Show, presented by Big O' Tires. Just doing it big, you know. Stop by your locally owned Big O' Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O' Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 Zone. Chris Mannix is going to join the show at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Stay tuned for that. But right now it's time for a market update brought to you by our friends at TridayTrading.com. Now anyone can be a day trader. Visit TridayTrading.com. Gordon, how did the market start out the week? Uh, the markets were down across the board, Jake. The Dow was off 55 points. The NASDAQ was off 50 points. And the S&P was off uh, 0.81. So not a great day. Nothing uh, nothing overly ridiculous, uh, but uh, still not in the positive. Okay. Well, we're hoping for something better. Gordon, do better tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do. Would you? Would you dial that up? Will you dial up a good day for us tomorrow? If you could, <laughs> that, would, uh, that would be fantastic. Can you imagine if you had the power over such things? Uh, boy, that'd be nice. I'd, I'd have a lot more than I do now. That's for sure. Uh, Gordon, although, uh, although don't they say that every time somebody has something that happens to their advantage, there's somebody who's either really happy or really sad about it. You know, if, if it's not going well for you, then, or maybe they don't say that. I don't know. Hey, Gordon, uh, real quick here, cause we've got Mannix coming up next. So I'll just jam this story in real quick. Uh, did you see that Netflix is making a movie about Sean Payton? I did not see that, no. So back in 2012 when he was suspended for Spygate, mm-hmm. he coached his son's sixth grade football team, apparently. Okay. Uh, and they're, uh, they're making a movie about it. Netflix is making a movie about it. And uh, do you know who they got to play Sean Payton or who is going to play Sean Payton? No idea. You, do you is there anybody you would guess like has his look? Because um, this is because who they actually got is not the answer. Right? I was whoever you come up with here is better than who they actually got. Well, I was trying to think of somebody who actually does resemble him. Um, uh, you could say Shirley Temple, and you'd be better. <laughs> what a, Brad Pitt or who's doing it? Kevin James. Oh. Uh, what? Well, uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop yeah, is but, going to be playing Sean Payton. Oh, well, I can see it, maybe. If he Stop it right now. Now little. you're just automatically disagreeing with me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know, Kevin like James George Clooney or something, you know. Kevin, well, what are you calling? Uh, you calling uh, uh, Sean Payton ugly or something? No, it's just it. Like if it, if uh, it were George Clooney, somehow it would be like too good looking for Sean Payton. Kind of, yeah. And you're thinking in terms of good looking, not like fit. 
I've been thinking maybe make uh, maybe Kevin James can come up with the right expressions, you know, the right. Kevin mannerisms. James is ugly enough to play Sean Payton. Is what you just said. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm I'm sorry if I if I misread that or, or offended anyone. I'm just surprised that's the direction you went. I I I yeah. I mean, obviously, I was trying to think of somebody who doesn't look like him because that was the nature of your inquiry. Right. Yeah, somebody who looks like him or, or could fit the role. I mean, you know, an actor's job. <laughs> but I mean, it's good to know that, that Kevin James is about right on the ugliness scale to play Sean Payton. <laughs> well, maybe they can manage him to look, uh, you know, a lot of it is mannerisms, Jake. It's not just the way one looks physically. Kevin Some, James. You know, that's what actors do, right? Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. I, I saw a movie where Tom Selleck was playing the part of uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. I've seen that movie. Yeah. What is is he too good look uh, too good looking to play Ike <laughs> or not good looking enough? Where was where well, was Ike Eisenhower on your on your good looking scale, Gordon? Not at the top. Not at a the great, top. A, apparently, a great leader, a great general, a great organizer. But uh, he's not Tom Selleck. So Tom had to ugly it up a little bit to play Ike, huh? Well, I mean, they tried, but it didn't quite get there. I see. Okay. All right. Stay tuned. It is the big show. We'll have Chris Mannix coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.